Welcome to Notes on a Painting. Notes on a Painting is a podcast by artists Olivia Kemp and Mark Connolly. Together, each week, we will discuss a painting that one of us has chosen and researched. Our choices of paintings will reflect where our tastes differ and overlap across the history of art. We are in the National Gallery in London, and Olivia and I are standing in front of a painting by Hans Holbein the Younger of Christina of Denmark, Duchess of Milan, painted in 1538. I pass through this room on a fairly regular basis and I have been on the receiving end of her stare multiple times but this is in fact the first time that I've stopped and stood for any considerable length of time with the painting Mm. Um, so my initial thoughts and feelings about the painting is that it's very impressive Um, it's basically a full length portrait of a young lady um, who holds herself with absolute composure and has quite a quite an impressive stare and gaze, I would say. Um, she's quite a towering figure, really, and there's a luminosity to the painting, physically. Um, the technical side of things is very impressive. Um, her gown is a sort of very dense, weighty black and uh, the highlights genuinely are so plausible and believable. You know, it feels, there's so much life in the painting, you know, it feels truly, truly alive and it's quite remarkable really to think that the painting was made several centuries ago. Like the, the light and the freshness of everything is quite dazzling in a way. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's a very impressive portrait, and it's nice to spend some time with it, standing looking at it. Um, yeah, um, but it's quite interesting. So this painting, in in its conception, was designed as yeah. So the painting was designed to be shown to Henry the Eighth as means um, of considering... So all of his previous wives had been English ladies, mm-hmm. and so this was their first um, attempt at international diplomacy through marriage, apart from Catherine America, of course, which didn't, didn't go too well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, right. Um, initially, Henry wanted to set up one of his grand marquees in one of the British-English-controlled con- areas of France um, and have some sort of parade of lovelies. <laughs> um, however, I don't think the lovelies were on board with the parade, so... In the end, Holbein was sent, commissioned by Cromwell to bring back portraits of eligible Mm -hmm. princesses, um, duchesses, etc. from Mm -hmm. around Europe who might make good alliances with England. I'm always impressed by Holbein's portraits, and it's often said, obviously, of Holbein that we wouldn't have the interest in the Tudors that we do if he didn't make them so real to us. Um, So Christina is painted here age 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Already a widow, married at, by proxy at 11, and widowed at 13. Good lord. Yeah. She's a um, <coughs> renowned beauty, and um, by this point, uh, she is exiled from Denmark and living in Brussels under the patronage of the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. Wow. So she's sort of commonly known as the one that got away and that she didn't marry Henry VIII. Um, and 
I think a lot of that pe people, there's a, there is a myth about her that she said, um, it's an unsubstantiated quote, if I had two heads, I'd happily put one at the disposal of the King of England, saying that his treatment of his previous wives was her reason for not marrying. But that quote, as far as I've found, has been, is completely unsubstantiated. Mm -hmm. It's more likely that she was living in the court of the Holy Roman Emperor. Henry had obviously overthrow, overthrown the whole of England to change the church, mm -hmm. and she probably had... Uh, more ties to the Catholic, Catholic court and marriages that would be approved by Charles V and her aunt, whose um, patronage she was also living under. Mm -hmm. So yes, that's the sort of history of Christina a little bit. It's a towering portrait. It is, and it's, it's interesting towering. in that it was you know, painted as a sort of um, illustration of her beauty for mm -hmm. Henry, that she turned him down and that he kept the painting till the end of his life it was in yeah. hang in the court which is um, it's like strange to have the woman you fancy <laughs> but couldn't get yeah. um, on the wall but um, it, I mean it's we've got no reason to believe that this isn't exactly what she looked like mm -hmm. um, and obviously sort of famously Holbein painted Anne Cleves and you have that whole sort of discussion about you know him not marrying him annulling the marriage because she wasn't attractive mm -hmm. And perhaps the painting is inaccurate, but we have uh, no reason to believe that. But her level of attractiveness was only ever pulled into question when Henry mm -hmm. wanted the annulment. And um, there were far more sort of complex political reasons for potentially annulling the marriage. So we have every reason to believe that we're looking at the real face of Christina. Yeah. It sounds as though she has had a pretty turbulent, tumultuous time of it already at such a young age. Yeah. There's already a lot of drama yeah. and stress in her life. Her life was incredibly dramatic, and she um, yeah, she went on to marry the Duke of Lorraine, who Anne of Cleves was supposed to marry, and um, he also died, and she was a widow again, quite young, and again they tried to arrange another marriage for her, but I think in the end she ended up ruling the Duchy of Lorraine for a while, she was made Queen of Denmark for a short while, and then was pushed off the throne again, a quite complex, quite complex history in life. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> quite, a, quite a long drawn out process of courting or approaching to court to have to sit for a portrait, have a portrait worked on for maybe mm. several weeks. This, I mean, this portrait is based on three hours. Three hours? Holbein had three hours with Christina and it's widely believed that he made drawings of her head wow. and hands wow. and came back to England to make the painting because on his, on his return it was said that Henry eagerly received mm -hmm. the images that Holbein had made and it's highly unlikely that he brought a huge oak panel with him yeah. to Brussels, finished the painting and brought it back again. So yeah. although we don't, I don't think we have the drawings, it's widely believed that that's what he drew and yeah. he made notes on her costume and made the painting afterwards because of Henry's enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. It is a very impressive portrait. I mean, we're standing here in the National Gallery. The painting is offset against this, you know, quite vibrant red and the painting itself is a rich green sort of turquoise background. Her attire is very dense, rich black with very gentle sheen and the whole painting is it's pretty it's pretty concise you know, I mean it fits like this it's life size really mm. I've heard um, it said that the sort of the, the disarray around the bottom of her clothing that slight sort of ruffle to, implies a movement as if she's about to walk away. Oh, that's interesting. It's a sort of psychological games at play, mm -hmm. even just in 
Something as simple as the, the clothing. It said she was known for her beautiful face, her beautiful hands, and her excellent lisp. Excellent <laughs> lisp. That's right, that interesting. Trait. I mean, the hands are basically centred in the image, just slightly, slightly above the centre of the image, and the contrast is stark. You know, from the softness and lightness of the flesh, and she's holding these gloves and. Yeah, as you mentioned right at the very beginning, the portrait and the hands are the focal points that everything else in the tonal range is much heavier and weightier. So it's almost as though the head and the hands are spotlit. Mm. Um, I guess I should bring in a little bit about Holbein. Mm -hmm. um, so Holbein, born in 1497, um, which means he was operating at the same time as Raphael. Um, which is interesting to consider when you look at the, the works and the differences in what's happening in Italy. He's born in Augsburg in Germany, um, and then the Protestant Reformation means that not a lot of... He paints mostly religious pictures under his father, who's also a very good painter. Um, but the Protestant Reformation meant there wasn't a lot of commissions, portraits, or religious works, so he moved to Basel. And eventually, um, through his connections with Erasmus, whose portrait also hangs here, who he painted when he was about 26... He managed to make connections with Thomas More, who was an advisor to King Henry, mm -hmm. and he moved over to London and went almost immediately to Thomas More's house, um, painting his family and making his way quite quickly into the Tudor court. Interesting. So that's his journey from the whole way through. Mm. It said he, they believe he may have been quite the child prodigy, mm -hmm. because there's a painting by Hans Helbein the Elder, um, which might still be in Augsburg in a cathedral, I can't remember. Um, but he, he has two sons, Ambrosius and Hans, and he stood with them in the portrait, pointing at Hans, mm -hmm. who is the younger son. So they, it's sort of discussed that perhaps that's the father indicating the genius of his mm -hmm. son. Within sort of our present times, like right now, you know, at present, Holbein is sort of held up as like one of the most esteemed British court painters in history, mm. really. Um, at the time when his work was made, like when the, when the work was originally made, what like what was the reception? Like, it was like startling. It said that people, particularly with his large portrait of um, Henry VIII, which hung at Hampton Court, it said that people would enter the room and gasp, believing mm -hmm. that they were in the presence of the king. And when you think about the paintings that we have after he died, paintings of Elizabeth the first, perhaps, which are sort of tightly controlled by her very prescriptive. Um, ideas of how she should be portrayed. They have nothing of that sense of a human realness that you get from Holbein. It's a complete departure. Mm -hmm. and it's almost like we imported, I mean, we did. Mm -hmm. It's the most excellent portrait painter. Mm -hmm. And again, we have to wait again for another mm -hmm. quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that these were made at the same time that Raphael was working because they're equally both very accomplished in the representation of the human form. Mm the ability to render realism is they're on a similar level, mm. I would say. Mm. Um, I don't think we discuss Raphael in the same, t um, Holbein, I mean, in the same terms of genius. No. In the same sort of, um, you know, trilogy of the great mm -hmm. Italian Renaissance. We're mm -hmm. not bringing in Holbein, I guess, so much. Mm -hmm. Obviously not Italian, but in that, not describing it in the same terms, in the same timeline. 
I wonder if that's purely geographical in that, like Raphael being part like, very much is. with it's the very church. very much centred around our focus on the Italian Renaissance being yeah. this sort of epitome of high art. Yeah. And obviously, like, England was kind of a backwater at the time as yeah. well. So, and Holbein was moving away from progress in a way. And obviously it followed him because the Protestant Reformation came to England nonetheless. Mm. But, um, yes, I think that's why he's sort of considered in that separate... Mm-hmm. Sort of separate time period. When, that, in that way that you don't sort of always sort of um, connect the dots in history, yeah. like the Romans and the Egyptians, yeah. and that, that, those overlaps. Mm-hmm. I think also like with someone like Raphael, you immediately become aware of the crowning achievements, the monuments that they build, and so being in Italy, mm. being able to design the interior of an entire church to make paintings to fill the entire church or something mm. like that on that scale. I think that immediately is this sort of like elevation whereas mm. in the, in Britain that's not quite as prominent really throughout history like I'm sure no, there are I he, mean, did, he did he, his job wasn't just painting he would design jewellery fireplaces uh, tables he was at the disposal of the court mm-hmm. and it's, it is obviously like quite an obvious thing to say but an important consideration is that we sort of believe that there may well be a lost Holbein of Anne Boleyn that was destroyed wow. because there are drawings we believe to be by him of her mm-hmm. there are drawings of all of her ladies in waiting all the people around the court at the time but not one of her there right. is no good portrait of her we've got a very dodgy one <laughs> so this is interesting to consider this sort of what that might look like and how Holbein may have portrayed her and what different vision we'd have of her if we did mm-hmm. have that Holbein so this might resurface within the next decade I'm guessing it's destroyed you think so well you get you get um they're headed for uh, adultery. That's then, a good uh, point. I think they wanted her uh, wiped. <laughs> yeah, that would be quite um, quite a juicy piece of uh, insider trading if we happened to mention a painting and it were to just resurface. If it had been smuggled away. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I'm talking smuggled away. This painting almost um, left the country and went to the Frick Collection, I believe, in the late 1800s. Um, but it was saved for the nation by an anonymous female donor who, to this day, we don't know who she is. Really? Mm. It's believed yeah. she may have had links to the suffragette movement. Mm-hmm. But other than that, um, apparently it's a secret that will be kept. And there's no way of finding out. Really? Yeah. They, they don't, hadn't managed to raise enough money and she put up more than half to wow. save it at the vinyl hour. Yeah, the, all, the only information available on the wall is it was um, per- presented with aid of an anonymous donation in 1909. Mm. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be the same level of generosity privately. <laughs> not, quite not, not as frequent. Um, well, the Frick Collection does, of course, have the fantastic Holbeins of Thomas Cromwell and Thomas More facing oh, each other, wow. the ad- adversaries mm-hmm. across a fireplace. So somebody had an agenda, somebody wanted to so reunite wanted all Holbein. of the Holbeins mm. together. Well, isn't there Frick reopens this year, so we should be able to go and mm. check those out again. We might have to fly over and visit some <laughs> other Holbeins. Check out some more cracking Holbeins. I am very up for that. I'm just... It was quite interesting, like, standing with this painting here this evening. It's, as you say, situated next to another Holbein directly opposite. So it's... Um, uh, the Ambassadors. The Ambassadors, yeah. Having having a view of an artist in relation to other works, the different periods of their...
career is something of a privilege we have here. Mm. Um. Yeah, and then you can tell when you look at this painting that it was made for a slightly different purpose, perhaps, than, you know, the portrait of Erasmus next to us or the ambassadors behind mm -hmm. us. There is an economy in the background. It's full frontal. Yeah. Um, which is unusual for a painting of a woman. Mm -hmm. um, it's very, very direct in how, you, how he's described the face. There's very little distraction in the background. It's, it feels focused on its purpose, similarly yeah. to the painting of Anne Cleves. It has the same um, presence to it and the same, it also full frontal, also I think almost full length. So this is full length. Um, yeah, so all of that's relevant to consider. There's a lot of... Um, Paraphernalia is the wrong word. Stuffage, I guess. Mm -hmm. Odds and ends. Bits and bobs. Tools of the trade in mm -hmm. other Holbein works like, like Erasmus, like the Ambassadors. There's a lot of detail and yeah. objects and indicators to people's profession, their interests. Mm -hmm. We don't get that here. We've got this very clear purpose of painting. Mm -hmm. I remember you mentioning before about this Basque scene painting. Yes. So you, uh, Holbein did more than obviously just paint, which we already discussed. And we did also mention that Henry liked to set up. There was this, um, there was a sort of, I'm trying to think of the right word, prestige in being able to set up these royal marquees mm -hmm. that were something of a moment. Um, I think it was the Field of the Golden Cloth was the first one of one of the famous ones that they it was gone it was there one moment this huge mm -hmm. royal almost a palace of tents mm -hmm. and it's gone the next day and that was almost more impressive than taking somebody to a palace mm -hmm. and Holbein was involved in designing and building one of those for Henry for the visit of French diplomats mm -hmm. and it's said that he painted or not apart from designing and painting and creating a lot of the decoration he he also apparently painted this huge battle scene which the diplomats were to walk into a room and come across this battle scene. And apparently it was a scene of um, the English defeating the French, <laughs> which seems a little a little bit of a, a jibe, but um, apparently it was uh, really overwhelming. Yeah, it's always so fascinating with artists of this age, and considering the paintings we don't have, like Anne Boleyn, yeah. we mentioned the, yeah. the fact that maybe... Maybe there was one, and the same these sort of battle scenes, the Holbein battle scene. Is yeah, I'd love to see that. To consider. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Yeah. If only, if only we could. Yeah. This is it. <laughs> that sounds incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really interesting thinking about all the different parts of his practice as well. Like, I had no idea that he designed jewellery and other. Like, yeah, I didn't realise that he was doing other things outside of the painting. Mm. In my mind, he just sort of existed as a draftsman and painter. So it's. I'd love to see some of the other design work that he... There are still drawings of um, some of his designs. I think they're mm -hmm. held in the Royal Collection along with the rest of the drawings. Um, and there's currently an exhibition of Holbein drawings at the Queen's Gallery. Coming to you soon, <laughs> in two weeks' time. I think it's on, on until... April? Not sure. Maybe March. Oh, anyway. we, can, we should definitely go and check that out. I'd be very up for that. Yeah, late homework. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice to have a continuation of a conversation of it as well. I feel like I, um, I haven't spent very much time with Holbein on the whole, so I feel like yeah, this like is an introduction for me sort of to his practice on a broader level, and then also to go and see that exhibition sounds great. I'd be really mm. up for that. That sounds really good. Um, yeah, I guess I was thinking in terms of like the podcast, like 
um, having a sort of like in conclusion part. So I don't know how we might like to structure that in terms of like concluding, like in conclusion, in conclusion, how do we like how do we feel about the painting? How, how do, do we feel about how do we feel about the painting? Or, um, I mean, I think obviously looking at all the different people he painted and all the all of the political turmoil that he tried to escape by coming over to England, but followed him to England. He must have been such a mercurial, mm -hmm. adaptable person. Mm -hmm. He must have he must have been easy to get along with. He must have been, or maybe the, there was a language barrier. Perhaps that, that aided him in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? But I think it's incredible that the the um, just I mean just like Rubens, I guess that ability to be working with Protestant kings and Catholic queens and. Mm -hmm duchesses and egos and to have everybody happy with the work mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. even Anne of Cleves yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even that famous painting where all that you know hoo-ha about her not being attractive and Holbein never got the blame mm -hmm. not Cromwell got the blame and I think that was more for not getting him out of the marriage rather than getting him into it right. so yeah I think we don't, I, I have to admire yeah. I have to admire Holbein and his ability to work with everybody so in terms of like the work itself and in relation to your practice, like the work that you make, is there anything, are there any connections to your practice like from Holbein? Is there anything from Holbein that you would be interested in incorporating into your own work? I think some of his drawings, his <coughs> drawings are particularly interesting. I think there's like, that you can, he will draw two people and one of them you'll feel has a more flattering Mm -hmm. representation of one another mm -hmm. like for example Thomas More and Thomas Cromwell mm -hmm. um, there's an indication like the um, the background in the Thomas Cromwell the fabric has been really stretched so it's sort of implying that he's perhaps a skin flint because he mm -hmm. stretched his damask and um, just these like both these like, huge figures but one of them is portrayed mm -hmm. maybe with a slight just this little bit of humour a little bit of comedy or there's this uh, famous drawing of Lady Rich um, where she has a water on her chin and a hair coming out of it. Right. The darkness with which he emphasised that mm -hmm. hair, mm -hmm. just to me, is funny. I find yeah. there's some humour in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, or even, you know, the, um, the ambassadors, these 20-something French diplomats, and with these, like, all these reminders of death around them and sort of the pomposity and the mm -hmm. sort of whole by pointing out to them the, um, the reality of their situation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think I like to refer to see the little, the little comedies and the humanity in the work. I think that, like I don't like to approach art, art like this in that kind of hallowed sense because I of think course. it really puts you off of being able to engage with it. Mm -hmm. I feel like from a technical perspective, Holbein is constantly demonstrating excellence. Uh, it's ridiculous. I mean, the, you know, the Erasmus painting when he was twenty-six is just mind-boggling. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's a totally different. There's a totally different atmosphere and mood to it. Um, the lighting is much more warm. This reminds me more of his um, paintings he did of the uh, the German Hansa traders in the German quarter of London, mm -hmm. with them, all, the, all their articles of their work around them. Some really stunning paintings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really. It is interesting having relationships between these paintings sort of expose um, all portraits all with very different agendas and motives and functions um. and they're so enigmatic like I think that was Holbein's genius because he's working at a time of complete 
religious upheaval mm -hmm. and obviously political and um, royal upheaval. And although we can maybe read some opinions and thoughts into the work, at the end of the day, they're always, always viewpoints that he could talk himself out of. They're mm -hmm. very gently implied. Mm -hmm. And we're assuming that these are his viewpoints and perhaps something he's trying to say about mm -hmm. a particular political figure or mm -hmm. royal person. But it's so, it's so lightly done, just like his drawings. It's just a little breath on paper yeah. and nothing more. Mm -hmm. It is real elegance and... Um, just, yeah, absolute precision, you know. I think, um, yeah, her gaze is um, really compelling and captivating. You know, she holds herself with, like, total and absolute composure. Um, she's, like, incredibly um, self-assured and she looks completely at ease, mm. you know. Like she looks completely at ease, and it leaves you to wonder whether she ever intended on marrying Henry. <laughs> no, no, I think she was just purely um, entertaining it. Thank you for joining us this week. We can never be one hundred percent sure of the accuracy of historical events. However, the information we are providing is based on our own research. If there is a painting which you would like to hear us discuss, please let us know on social media. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe for weekly episodes.